Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Uh, we're continuing with our series, God of the Valley. We, we started last week um, just, uh, just talking about uh, that God is the God of the, remember, hills and the, come on guys, right? God is the God of the hills and the valley. And he proved it, didn't he? Remember that? Um, if you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you, watch that message um, on YouTube or Facebook um, it's it's uh, it's been a been a great series so far, and uh, today, uh, if you didn't notice in your bulletin, we're going to a story that is pretty familiar, aren't we? Um, we are going to First Samuel chapter seventeen. So, if you got your Bibles, um, go ahead and and, and open up there with me, First um, Samuel chapter seventeen, and you'll notice that um, this is the story of what. David and Goliath. Yeah, the classic Sunday school story. There's no way that you got through church as a kid without learning the story of David and Goliath. It's that that classic story of little versus big, um, the underdog versus the overlord, how to, how to uh, you know, just, just overcome seemingly insurmountable odds and win the victory, right? Defeat your Goliath. That is David and Goliath. And uh, today, as we, we go to this text, we are going to just get right into it, but, but I want to do it just with, with a word of caution, okay? Because we can approach this like we do a lot of other Sunday school stories, and we can think, oh, I know where this is going already. I've heard this story. I know the outcome. I know the application. You're going to tell me I need to go out, and I need to fight that Goliath, right? That's, that's usually how it ends, okay? I'm just going to tell you right off the bat right now, that's not how we're going to end today. Um, we are not going to end with, with, a, with a motivational speech that you need to go out and be stronger and fight your Goliath. But we are going to look at this text and then make some application as we have looked at it. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going this morning. The reason why that this text is um, in our series, God of the Valley, is because this battle was fought in the valley of Elah. And we actually see that as we go to the text, um, open up there to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, look at verse 1 with me. It says there that the, um, the Philistines, 1 Samuel 17 verse 1, it says that the Philistines, they gathered their armies for battle. That's how the text opens up. Now, Let's just ask the question, first of all, who are the Philistines? We know that the Goliath was a Philistine. We don't know a lot about these people, though. The Philistines were actually um, living along the West Coast, okay? And so if, if you know, if you, if you kind of have a picture of, of the, the nation of Israel there, and then there's the Mediterranean Sea, um, they were located along the Mediterranean Sea. They were kind of a seafaring people, and they aggressively expanded their territory through war, okay? And, and, and so, so how this happened was basically they, they were known for their sensual worship, for the, their warlike culture, but they were one of the biggest enemies of Israel. And we actually see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that the Philistines come up over and over again. They're trying to invade, trying to attack, and they're, they're a great enemy of, of, of the Israelites. But in verse, verse 1, we actually see, as, as you read on, you'll see that they gathered at uh, Succoth. Let me just read it for you. And they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkah and Azteca in Ephesidium. I don't know how to read that, but that is, that's basically what it is saying is they made their way from the west coast along the Mediterranean Sea all the way through the valley. And there was a big valley that led from the lowland of the, of the coast all the way up to the highland where Israel was located. And that was the, the valley was a strategic place where they could, they could make their way through then to, to attack, to invade. So we know from, from verse 1, 
What's happening is that they have camped in, you'll notice, territory that belonged to Judah. And that's, that's the nation of Israel. This was an invasion. This was war, okay? And so as we, as we read on to verse 2, we'll see where, where, where things were happening. It says in verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel, and Saul's the king of Israel, the men of Israel were gathered and they were encamped at the valley of Elah. That's, that's where it was located. And they drew up in the, battle, in the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And so it's, it's going to be all-out war here between these two nations in the valley of Elah. That's why we're talking about in this series, God of the Valley, because God was going to show that he is not just the God of the hills, he is again the God of the valley. Keep on reading. It says, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I can just imagine the scene that this was as this huge giant comes and walks out of the Philistine camp. There may have been an announcer that said, Announcing our champion, Goliath of Gath, sitting at nine foot, nine inches tall, and... How many? 600 pounds. That's what they estimate him to be. 600 pounds, our champion Goliath of Gath. And the crowd goes wild, right? I can just imagine that's what's happening. Can't you? I mean, this is, this is like they were trying to make a scene. You know, you know how, how you, I don't know if you're into fighting or watching fighting. I'm not, so I don't know how they do it. But I, you know, I just remembered back to like watching some scenes of WWF or something. And like they make this whole, they do all this like big stuff just to intimidate. And that's what they were doing. They were trying to intimidate the people. But Goliath, Goliath is huge, Okay. And, and we have these, you know, ideas in our head that he's like, you know, we, we look at these Sunday school papers, the coloring pages, remember? And Goliath is like, like his head would be taller than this ceiling. And, and there's David, just this tiny little boy. I, I'm going to tell you, that's not incredibly accurate, okay? Um, actually, Goliath, you'll, you'll see he was, he says six cubits and a span, okay? Um, a cubit is 18 inches and a span is half of a cubit. And so if you do the math, that is nine feet, nine inches tall. Nine foot, nine inches tall. Now, some people, they're like, I, I, don't, I don't give this story any credibility because there were no giants, okay? They're, they're ignorant, okay? There are actually very tall people that have lived. And uh, just, just in, the, in these past, uh, past 100 years, you'll actually remember that the tallest man ever recorded um, is actually Robert Wadlow. Remember him from the Guinness Book of World Records? Yeah, I've got a picture of him. Um, that that uh, they're going to bring up. Yeah, here's here's Robert. He was eight foot, um, eight foot eleven point one inches. That's how tall Robert was. Now, obviously, they did not have pictures of Goliath, and so we can't confirm. But they have dug up archaeological evidence of giants in the ancient Near East. This was a real thing. It actually was was actually known that Goliath even had other brothers. Um, which, which is an interesting thing as well. They, they were also giants. But um, actually, the tallest man in the world today, do you know his name? Um, any of you Guinness Book of World fans? It's um, Sultan Kozin. Um, he actually had a tumor. You can bring his picture up. He had a tumor on his pituitary gland that, that allowed um, the, the growth hormone to continue to go out into his body. And he, he continued growing Actually, until the, um, the University of Virginia performed a surgery that, that stopped that from going out. Isn't that interesting? And so, so this is currently, um, he is 8 foot, 2.82 inches tall. That's a tall dude, okay? And I thought I was tall, <laughs> okay? Sometimes I don't actually realize how tall I am. Um, that's, that's something that, like, when I get around somebody else that is tall, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're tall, 
I'm like, because I'm, I'm kind of used to it. But, you know, whatever. But Goliath, he, he, is, he is even taller than that. Nine foot, nine foot, nine inches tall. Not only was Goliath physically superior, actually, he was technologically superior. He had superior armor. And that, that's, that's the other point of intimidation that he used. It says in verse 5, as you, as you keep on reading, that he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That is 125 pounds. He's got to be a strong dude, okay? A really big guy. Uh, verse 6, it says that he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. That is 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. So we wonder at this point, why, why all the detail? Again, this is meant to draw us in to, to the intimidation that the Israelites were experiencing at that time um, because of his height, his strength, his weaponry. Um, they they were, were drawn into, into incredible fear of this giant Goliath. But it also, it's also meant, I believe, because of the outcome, we know the outcome of this story, it's also to, meant to teach us this, that size doesn't matter to God. Size doesn't matter to God. We saw it last week, that God can win by many or he can win by few, okay? And, and that, is, that is our God. Size does not matter. Actually, the smaller the army, the greater the glory that God is going to get. And um, it, it, it goes on to, uh, to then see how... Um, how, how, how the response to the Israelites was like. But, but before we go there, um, I want you to just, just point, point it out this. Um, in the previous chapter, remember David? Remember David, the shepherd boy? We're going to meet him in just a little bit in this chapter. But last chapter, David had just been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And uh, the, the prophet Samuel had actually come over to, to um, David's home and, uh, and he had looked through all of, all of the brothers because he was supposed to anoint one, one of those brothers with oil to be the next king. And he, he looked at, at the oldest and, and the most handsome and the strongest. And, and what God said to him was this, and I think it's important for us to know. I'll bring the scripture up on the screen. Just a chapter back, 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. He's talking about the, the oldest brother. I think he's Eliab, maybe. Don't look at his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. I'm not basing my decisions based upon what he looks like, his skill set, his strength, his height. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we, we've, we've already seen that. God's purposes will prevail. Whether, whether you are tall or you are short, whether there are many or whether there are few, we trust God no matter what the circumstances, okay? And so so that's, that's what we've already seen in the previous chapter. And now God's, God's going to prove it. He's going to prove it through this chosen, chosen man. Now, not only did Goliath look scary, he talked scary. Okay, keep on going with me in 17, um, verse 8. It says that he stood and he shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Now, if you look back at verse 4, you see that, that Goliath was called a champion. And that, that's who he, uh, he, he was. He was a champion. Champion, that, that word that is used there is the only time it's used in the whole Old Testament. And it's a combination of the word man and between. Okay? And so, so here is Goliath. They call him a champion. He's the man between. He's coming out as the man between uh, representing the Philistines. And what he's calling the Israelites to do is send out their man between to come out into the valley and fight together. 
And, and basically what, what he's asking is for, for representative warfare to happen. He's basically giving them an education. You bring out your champion, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'm the champion. I'm going to fight against them. Whoever's the winner, we can spare a lot of bloodshed, and we can, we can just duke it out here. If, if you win, you'll, you'll see in verse 9, it says, If he is able to fight with me and kill me, he says, Then we will be your servants but if I prevail then, and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now that word defy, it actually shows up multiple times throughout this text. And it, it, it was a word that, uh, that means to taunt or to scorn or to disgrace. It was seriously offensive. He was being very offensive in his language, not only to God's people Israel, but also to the Lord himself, to God himself. So the question then at this point, as we, as we are at this, this point, how is Israel going to respond? You remember how they responded? We, we see their response in verse 11, and it's this. Saul is the king, and it says, When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They feared. They, they were shaking in their boots. They did not know what to do. And so here is Saul, the king, the one who is their commander-in-chief that's supposed to be the strong one, and he is fearful. And guess what? Because of his fear, all the rest of his army was afraid as well. I think there's a principle here, um, both for leadership and, and, and even for, for just whatever position you're in, whether you're a husband or a wife, um, in your home, in your workplace, there are situations that we encounter that, uh, that cause us to, to fear, okay? And can I tell you that, that I've, been, I've been in situations where I've been under a leader, and when they feared and when they were anxious, when, when they were uh, emotionally unhealthy, when they were discouraged, Guess what happened to the whole team? The whole team. You've been there before, right? The whole team was brought low. The whole team was fearful, discouraged, anxious, right? The whole team was brought down by an unhealthy leader. And so, so can I just encourage you in your home or in your workplace, or if you, are, if you lead other people, can I just tell you, um, there are times where you're going to encounter this, and your response to challenges, it, it matters. It does matter. Because the way that you respond is how others beneath you are also going to then respond. And so my encouragement is, is do it scared. Do it scared. Just, just meet those challenges scared. You, you may be scared about what the future may hold. But uh, man, the, as a leader, you, you've just got to meet that challenge and trust God do it scared. There, there may be genuine fear, but, but respond to it with faith and not fear, okay? As you read, as you keep on reading, we're going to actually just skip a little bit of portion. I'm going to summarize it for you. In verses 12 through 23, what, what happens is this. David, David's brothers, they're on the front line. And David is, is oops, David is not there on the front line with them uh, because he's actually too young. What we know about David is that uh, at this point he is he's uh, with his father's sheep. He's a shepherd. Um, he's, a, he's a young boy at this time. And uh, he is there taking care of his father's sheep while, while the oldest three brothers are there on the front lines. And what David's father wants to know is, are, are the brothers all right? Are they doing okay? They're on the front line. And what, what, what he asks of David is he asks him to go and uh, make a trip over to the front line uh, where his brothers are. And he sends with David bread and cheese to the camp of the Israelite army. And when David arrives at that, at that front line, I want you to just notice something. He does not come dressed as a warrior. He actually comes dressed as a courier. Okay, you know those like brown UPS clothes, right? 
<laughs> he's, he's, he's like wearing brown probably. He's, he's a courier, okay? That's what he's doing for a living right now. He's watching sheep and he's delivering cheese. He's the cheese boy. He, he's basically Uber Eats in that day. That, that's what David was. And he arrives at the front line not, not planning on fighting. He, he arrives humbly. He looks like a, a common, common man, okay? Go down to verse 23. It says, so, it says he, he meets his brothers, and he talked with them, and something happens. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. David hears him define the army of God, and he whips around, and he's like, did I just hear what I think I heard? Did that man just defy our God and, and his people? Did I just hear him curse us? He says in 17 verse 26, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is he? He's flabbergasted. So, so he starts asking around. And, and as he's asking around, trying to get the information about, about this, this man named Goliath, this giant, and what's going on, David's brothers actually start to criticize him. Have you ever been there before? Someone criticizes you for impure motives? Basically, they're like, why, why did you come? Why did you come to the front line? You were supposed to just drop the cheese and leave. And, and instead, you're here and you're asking questions, and, 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 and they, they begin to mock him and accuse him of impure motives for being there and coming to the battle line. Well, actually, fortunately, we see David, he doesn't try to defend himself. He just says, I, I said a word. And I don't know what that means, but basically, he's like, I'm just, I'm just talking. You know, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. He keeps on going, and he chooses his battles. He doesn't fight against his brothers. He actually knew that Goliath was the real enemy. Sometimes you get in situations where you have to just choose your battles, where you have to recognize, no, my, my wife is not my enemy. It's, it's that that's the real enemy. Or, or my kids aren't the enemy. It's what they're going through. That's the enemy. There's situations where you just have to choose your battles and realize who the real enemy is. And David knew. He knew it was Goliath. And so instead of, instead of uh, attacking his brothers who are mocking him because of their pride and their insecurity, actually what, what happens is he keeps on asking around and word gets to the king. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight the Philistine. Now, I imagine that was pretty shocking for Saul to hear. Who, who are you again? The, the, the cheese boy? You know, I was like, well, you're just a little kid. You have no business being here. Why, why did your father even let you stay? You know, and verse 33 goes on. And Saul said to David, you're, you're not able. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You can't do it. But David, David he, he, he thinks he has a good comeback. He says to Saul, he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now just think about that response. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. That's not a great start, is it? I used to watch fluffy animals for a living. Like, that's not a great response, David. But he goes on. He saves himself. Okay. And when there came a lion or a bear, I took a lamb from the, and, and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Okay, this is, this is like serious stuff, man. He attacks a lion for a sheep. Okay, um, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. David believed because he was victorious in the wilderness 
he could also be victorious in the valley. Notice his heart. When he lost a sheep from his flock, did he just write it off as a loss? No. Because the heart of the shepherding king is to leave the 99 and go after the one. That's it. He leaves the 99, goes after the one, 37, and says, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David's not pointing at himself. You know, it, it may look like that in those, those first few statements that he made. You know, I, I beat up a lion, I killed a bear. But no, he points actually outside of himself. He points to the Lord. He says, the Lord will deliver me. I can have confidence in the present because of my God's faithfulness in the past. I, I, I know that the God who delivered me then will deliver me now. That's who my God is. Keep on going. It says in in 37, And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. But we see then that that Saul then thinks that it's a good idea to provide David with his own armor. And if you know anything about Saul, Saul was was a head and shoulders taller than than everyone else. We, we, we read about that. Um, he is also a kind of a giant, okay? I would imagine he would, he would be probably close to seven or eight feet um, himself. Saul goes on and gives David his armor. I wonder what he's thinking, but David, he, he puts it on and basically he's like, Saul, this, this doesn't work. This doesn't fit me. I cannot wear this, okay? But the other thing that I want you to be thinking in your mind as well is not only did it probably not fit him, but it did not fit the way that he was going to fight against Goliath as well. He was not, going, he was not planning on engaging Goliath in hand-to-hand warfare, taking out a sword and a spear and a shield and duking it out in that way like Goliath was going to. Now, David had a different idea. Now, instead it says that he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the book brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was also in his hand, and he, and he approached the Philistine. Can I just, uh, I, I brought something with me today. I brought with me five smooth stones and a, and a sling, okay? And I, I can just imagine um, some of these stones that, that David uh, picked out of this brook. I, I also wonder why he picked five um, actually, I, I think the answer to that is he knew that Goliath had, I think it was five other brothers. And so one was for each brother. That's, that's what I've heard. I, I, I don't actually know. So don't quote me on this one. I don't know if there's scriptural support for that or not. Um, look it up because I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. Is that okay? All right. But anyway, um, five smooth stones. He picked them out of the brook. He, he puts them in his shepherd's pouch and he also takes his sling. And I want you to notice in his hand, I should have highlighted that, but, but he takes his sling and he, this is important. It's in his hand, okay? He, he's keeping his sling in his hand, okay? And as we keep on going, verse 41, that as he's approaching the Philistine, it says, verse 41, that the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And the Philistine, he looked and he saw David. He disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Well, David is, David is not what he expects. He, he's expecting a warrior. He's not expecting a boy. And so he proceeds to insult David. Here's what he says, verse 43. And, David, and the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Okay, just stop there. Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? How many sticks did David have? One. Yeah. He had, it said that he had his, his rod and his staff in his hand. Verse 40, right? He had a staff in his hand. Okay, this is just interesting to note. You may, may have never learned this before. Goliath said sticks. Why the plural? You know what the answer is? And this is just speculation. Sultan Kozig tallest man on the earth right now. What, what was his problem? He had a tumor on his pituitary gland. And that actually caused a lot of health problems, among which was vision. Okay? 
What I would propose is that Goliath could not see very well. And so maybe he was, maybe he was double, double-sided. You know, maybe he saw two, two. okay? Some, some of you might struggle with your eyesight. I hope it's not that bad, though, because he's, he might have been literally seeing sticks when there was just one. And notice what he did not see. He didn't see the sling that was in David's hand. He never even saw it. Verse 44, And the Philistines said to David, Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now David begins to speak. He's taking all this, all this, uh, uh, you know, all this talk from, from Goliath and he says this. David said to the Philistine, Now you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It's not I who fails to understand what you have. It is you who fails to understand what I have. I have the God of angel armies. I've got the God of of the army of Israel. And he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and not with spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give, a, give you into our hand. I remember us sing, we sang this song, didn't we? For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory, not because of what's in me, but because of who my God is. That's what happens when we trust in, in the name of our God, when we trust in the, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. That's who David put his faith in. Seven times here, David references the Lord. You can count them in this text. And it, the Lord's battle. He's making it clear. It's the Lord's battle. It's not me. He's going to get the victory. I know I'm little. I know you're big, but it's not my fight. It's the Lord's. So in verse 48, fight's going to go down. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, it says that David came and he ran quickly toward the battle. His, 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 uh, his, to, to meet the Philistine, it says, David did not fear. He purposely ran to the battle line, didn't he? He ran, and it looks like he's going to engage Goliath in hand-to-hand combat. It looks like he's, he's fallen right into his hand. But as he's running, the text actually says that he stops short. He pulls out his sling and the stone, and he, he, starts, he starts whipping it around, Okay. He, he throws it in his, his sling. He starts whipping it around, 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 around. <laughs> he was a much better, better slingshotist than I, okay? <laughs> Wasn't that great? That's why it was David, not me. <laughs> you can even ask my wife. I practiced a little bit, too. Not enough, okay? Yeah. Exactly. That's why I didn't point at you. (laughs) I love having fun preaching God's word. Isn't it awesome? All right. He stops short, pulls out his sling and stone. And did you know that, that, that one of these slings can fling a stone at over 100 miles an hour? It can, it can literally take off your head, okay? It can do some serious, serious damage. It can, okay? I'm glad it didn't do it to, to, to Cliff right there in the front, okay? All right? You should have been there when I, when I had the bow. Anybody remember when I shot an arrow in church? Was anybody there? Yeah, seriously. We shot an arrow in church. We stood right there, and we shot it that way, and it went right into the baptismal wall. Okay? <laughs> we may have to ask you to sign waivers coming here. Okay? <laughs> okay. But it says that David took his hand, um, his hand in his bag, verse 49, took out the stone, slung it, And he struck Goliath on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Boom. 
He's down and he is dead. Goliath literally never even saw it coming. He never did. Okay, um, and it says in verse 50, So David prevailed over, over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. He struck the Philistine and he killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. I think that's an important note right there. Because he just said that, that, that the battle is the Lord's. Um, he's not going to save by sword or by spear. He's not going to use what we think is going to win the battle. Okay, that's, that's an important thing to note. If you're going through a valley, if you're going through, through something really difficult, God uses those things that are weak, those things that, that are not strong, those things that, that are not common to us to win the battle. That's why we say here at Valley Church, prayer is the greater work. We say that, right? Um, it is true. There was no sword in David's hand. 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and he took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and he killed him and cut off his head. This is, this is gory. But when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, okay? Note this. David did not win in spite of his weakness. David won because of his weakness. David did not win in spite of being small. He won because he was small. Change your perspective when you're encountering an enemy. And the very weapon that was meant to destroy God's people actually was used then to destroy the enemy. Verse 52, keep on going. And the men of Israel and Judah, they rose up with a shout their battle cry. They pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So that the wounded Philistines fell all the way from Shuriam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. All right, that's the end of the chapter. And so now, it's time for some application. You remember how I began? I said, we're not going to apply this the way, that, the way that we normally apply. Can I just review a little bit how, how we used to apply this story? We used to say, you know, when, when I grew up, when I was at a youth event or in church, usually we would say this. That big nine foot, nine, foot, nine inch Goliath, that Goliath, he equals your fear. You see that little David boy? That little David boy is you. And so what you need to do is you need to get out there and you need to get your sling and your stone and you need to go and fight your Goliath, right? That's what we used to say. And what, what is your Goliath? Your, your Goliath is, is your addiction. It's, it's your lust, your fear, your, your past, your anxiety, um, your, your doubt. You need to get out there and you need to fight harder. You need to fight your giant. That's what we would say. The story was actually used as a motivational speech. And, you know, maybe it worked for some of you, but for most of us, it didn't work because we would come away from church or we would come away from, from kids camp. Uh, we'd come away from that conference where we heard it or that revival. And we, we would leave all fired up like, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to fight those giants. And we get home and we get into our daily routine we get in back, back into our family, into our home, get back to our school, we get back to our workplace. And those things that we swore we were going to fight against, the, 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 that strength that we swore we were going to have against the giant, the, those, those agreements that we made with God, we're going we're gonna to fight harder. We're going to pull up our bootstraps. And we're we're going to put on that arm. And we're going to go fight we actually realized that we fell in and we, we failed over and over and over again and that we kept on and are keeping on fighting a losing battle. Those things that we swore to not do, we did again and again and again and again. And that giant of lust or doubt or anxiety or those besetting sins, whatever it is for you, those things that you just keep on failing at over and over and over again, those, those giants that we'd call them, that giant is even more giant now. 
And so for many of us, this, this motivational speech was not what we needed. It didn't work. Can I tell you this? And this, this is a key. If you want to write this down, this is, this is the whole point. We are not David. We are Israel. You are not David. You are Israel. Church, Valley Church, we are not David. We are Israel. That giant, when it comes to insult us, we shrink back in fear. But let me tell you, in, in, in the midst of our depravity and our helplessness, praise God, he did not send a motivational speaker. He did not do that, okay? He didn't send a guy that had a sling of snow and that, you know, went up to the roof, okay? <laughs> he didn't send that, okay? That's, that's not who God sent. God did not send a cheerleader. God sent a champion. Our man between. Remember that, the definition? Our man between. God sent a champion to engage in representative warfare for us, Israel. And that's the point of this passage. Into our helplessness, God sent another boy, get this, from Bethlehem. From Bethlehem. Same place. He came from an obscure town. He arrived lowly. He, he, he didn't look like you would expect. Just like, just like Samuel, when anointing David, did not expect to anoint that little boy. It says in Philippians 2, 6, and 7, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And get this, his brothers he mocked him. Did you know that? Jesus' brothers actually at one point tried to lock him up because they thought that he was insane. They tried to go and get him and stop him from teaching, stop him from preaching. You know, the re religious actually accused him of, of bad intentions. The religious leaders actually, actually accused him, that, that told, told Jesus that he was actually Satan. That's how bad it got. They accused him of bad intentions, a lot like David's brothers did to him. How did Jesus respond? Did he just fight against them? No. He actually realized who the real enemy was. Instead of fighting against the religious leaders, instead of fighting against his own family, he knew what his mission on earth was to do, was to fight the giant. Fight the giant of sin and death. It says, in being in the form of God, in Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus stepped out just like David did to Goliath as our representative. He stepped out on the battle line against Satan in what looked like weakness. And he won, not in spite of his weakness, but because of it. It says that Jesus actually, would, you know, sin had to be defeated, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So he had to become like us, incarnate like us, to experience sin and temptation just as we do, yet he was without sin. And so because of that, he could be then the perfect Lamb of God, that champion, that man between on our behalf. That's the gospel. And so, so as, as he faced Satan, it says in Hebrews chap, chapter 14, verse 15, it says, it says, this is what happened, that through death, it says, that he might destroy the one who has power, the power of death. You can bring that up. It's Hebrews 2, 14. You got that? Yeah. That's what Jesus did. He, he not only faced the giant, he actually died. He was killed. He was dead for three days, but what David did is he actually turned that sword into a weapon against the enemy, didn't he? Because as he died, he turned death on the devil, didn't he? He turned death on the devil, and, 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 and death is actually what we fear. Death is what we fear every single day, right? You know, we, we actually had, a, had a, a little boy that's still, he's on a ventilator right now, a little, little Landon that we've been praying for um, as, as a church, it's a fearful thing. Death is a reality. 
But you know, Jesus has won the victory over death. He did. He, he turned the sword of death and he turned it not, not toward us, but against the devil. He won the victory. Okay? And so he opened that door of victory for all those who trust in him. His victory, like David, like David's counted for Israel, it counts for you. It counts for you. That's the gospel. That's, that's Christianity. That's our message. That's Valley Church. It's not being strong and fighting against your giant. It's not clean yourself up and make yourself worthy for God. It's be like David. Admit that you are weak as Israel. You're helpless. And you fix your eyes on your champion. Just as Israel fixed their eyes on David. Let me also tell you this. There are some of you who are going through some real valleys right now, and I want to make this really practical for you. It may, that, may be that you're going through a dark valley of struggle, of difficulties, of addiction, of challenges, and, and maybe you're just here and you just feel, feel tired, you feel worn out, you feel at the end of your rope. Can I just encourage you with what Scripture has to say for you right now? Hebrews chapter 12. We'll end with this passage. It says, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Do you feel like Israel right now? Do you feel weary? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel faint like you're inadequate Look to Jesus. Look to your champion. The one who descended into the valley of the shadow of death. The one who took on death and hell and the wages of sin for you. The one who rose then victorious on the other side. Who defeated the enemy. That's the story of David and Goliath. Our God is greater than whatever valley, whatever giant you're facing right now. So look to Jesus. You have a future, you have a hope that no sin, no addiction, no tragedy, no failure can, can take away. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you can face the giants, you can face the valleys in your life because you have him. The Lord is on your side. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for me. It's our church. That's Valley Church, and that's, a, that's our hope for this valley in our world, that we would look to Jesus. So let's stand together. Let's close in prayer. And let's, uh, let's just take a moment and just fix our eyes on our king right now. With every head, head bowed, every eye closed. God, we thank you that you are God of the valley. God, you are the, the God who has defeated hell and sin and death. And today I know our church is facing a lot of challenges. God, there's struggles in our marriages. There's struggles in our homes. God, there's struggles in our health. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and doubt. God, I pray if there's anyone here that's dealing with that right now, God, that they would just look to you. I want to pray for, pray for them. And God, pray that your strength and your power would be made perfect, would be made evident in their weakness. God, would you just cover them with your strength right now? Would, they help them, would you help them to see that the battle is not theirs? It is the Lord's. Would you bring them, God, into that place where they can just rest secure in your hand? We thank you that you're Lord of all. God, I also pray for those that don't know you right now. Maybe, maybe that the gospel for the first time, they want to respond in faith to you. Scripture says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if there's some of you here today that want to receive Jesus, you want to repent of your sins and trust in him, just, just raise up your hand right now, just as a sign. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I want to receive you today. Yeah. There's a few of you here right now. Praise God. Hey, if you're here and you just raise your hand, let's just just, uh, just say this to God. 
It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's a promise you can hold on to right now. So as I give you this opportunity, why don't you just pray out and pray out. You can do it audibly. You can do it just in your heart. The heart is what matters right here, right now. And our church, let's just join, join with them just, just in remembering our faith. Jesus, you can pray. Jesus, thank you that you are Lord. I realize right now that I'm a sinner, that I am weak, that my sin has separated me from you. But God, you came and you fought my battle for me. Thank you, God, that you went to the cross. Thank you for taking my sin. I repent and I turn to you, Jesus. I turn away from my own self-effort and I turn to you. I believe that you are Lord and I want to be your follower. Would you save me, Jesus? I believe that you not only died, but you were raised from the dead. And I want to follow you and live for eternity with you forever. I am not my own. I belong to you. You are my champion. Thank you, God, for those that have just been born into your family right now. God, thank you for this gathering as a church. God, may you bless us as we leave from this place. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ. 